You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Being a woman in the comedy space, it's a little intimidating and you feel like you constantly need to prove yourself or you're constantly questioned about if that's your material or if you got that idea from somebody else or any of that. You need to take the first steps into just doing it and do it authentically as possible, obviously. You need to love what you're doing. You need to be passionate about what you're doing. People can see that through the screen. Exciting career changes could be in your future, but what does that mean for your wealth? What does it mean for your financial plan? You don't have one? Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with a financial advisor today. It's a way to get the expertise that you need to help you dream more, demand more, and do more. Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining us here today on Her Money. I know that many of you who are listening subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. I want to thank you for that. But we also hear from a lot of you who found us on social media. Social media is the place where so many of us spend time checking out the day's news, getting updates from friends. And then the next thing you know, we find ourselves engaged with something we didn't even know existed, but we're pretty much already in love with. Maybe it is a new product we want to try or a book we want to read or a person we want to follow. The competition to be seen and heard on social these days is just fierce. Many companies don't even advertise via traditional channels anymore. Instead, They just launch an influencer campaign where A-listers promote their products for payment and it works. And that's because so much of our lives are on social media now. We trust many of the people that we follow and maybe our favorite content creators aren't even trying to sell us anything. But the point is we are all being influenced. As I was thinking about all of this, it occurred to me that even though social media is such a big part of our lives, we haven't done a show on the topic of who we follow. Specifically, what's life really like for an influencer? And if we're looking to become one, what is really going on with influencer economics. To help us break it all down is Chris Collins. She has 43 million followers on TikTok, 5.5 million on YouTube, nearly 2 million on Instagram. They all know her best as Call Me Chris. She is one of the top 20 most followed creators on TikTok. And get this, she's done it all in less than two years. She only joined the platform in April of 2020. Since then, her videos, and they range from sketch comedy to authentic conversations about mental health, have just captivated the world. Some of my favorite topics, if introverts were honest, Growing Up With a Brother, and her series on what I imagine it's like to have a toddler, where she plays both the toddler and the parents. She's got this incredible range. And brands have noticed. She's had brand partnerships with Amazon, Netflix, Lionsgate, Pantene. Last year, YouTube named Chris their number one breakout creator of the year. She's made Forbes 30 Under 30. Can you say rock star? Yes, I think so, Chris. Welcome. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you so much. What an intro. 
I am so interested. Well, I'm just looking at your hair. I mean, everybody who follows you knows what you look like, but I'm just, I'm not surprised by the Pantene thing. You have beautiful hair. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, I was a hairdresser before all of this too. So that is a reputation I need to live up to as well. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. How'd you get your start? We know that many women launched businesses during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. In that way, you're no different, but you made a unique decision with what you chose to do. Yeah, absolutely. I started, like you said, almost two years ago now when the pandemic first started. And I actually lost my business, which was a hair salon because of the pandemic, self-employed before and somewhat of an entrepreneur before to a smaller, much smaller scale. But I started making videos because honestly, I didn't have anything else to do. And I did not remotely expect it to escalate to what it is now or anything, but I just thought I would run with it when it started to do well for me. And I've always loved comedy and entertaining people. So yeah, that's kind of how it started and how it's escalated into what it is today. (laughs) What do you think about the label influencer? I don't know why I'm not a fan of the word, but, but it's kind of true. Like with you say with brands and all that kind of stuff, if I work with people, technically I am putting influence on people. So yes, the term influencer is not my favorite word, but it probably is the most accurate word to use for my job. Or I know a lot of people in the space usually say like creator or something like that, or video creator or something along those lines. But being in the space, I do notice that I do have a lot of influence on people. So I just be that much more careful with what I post. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was coming up doing work on the Today Show, the word people used was brand. You know, you're a brand. And I used to sort mm-hmm. of get offended mm-hmm. at that, like loosely offended. Like, no, I'm not a brand. I'm just a person. Yeah. Like, what do you mean I'm a brand? <laughs> but people talk about building a brand and they talk about building a brand using social media. And it's something that I think a lot of people want to do. And so if you were advising a friend about, you know, how do you build a brand on social media, no matter what industry they're in, how would you suggest that they start? Yeah, well, going through it now, and not that I've been in the space for too, too long, but there's a lot of factors to take into account and a lot of things to do and not to do and just being careful with what you post, because that can affect your quote unquote brand in the future, whether it's kind of more inappropriate content or content that might be a little bit more controversial or those are things to think about when you first start out and what you want to represent. What do you want to convey to people? For me, I want to convey relatability and make people laugh and comedy and that kind of thing. So those are the brands that I attract. Whereas if somebody was to do cooking or something more serious based, then you just need to take all of those things into account and thinking about if you want this to be your career, how it can be sustainable in that way. So thinking about what you're posting is very important. <laughs> how about how about in terms of the quality of what you're posting? And I'm not really talking about the quality of the content itself. I'm talking more about production quality. Mm. You know, one of mm. the things that struck me so much during the pandemic was when NBC Nightly News used to call me for a story where they would want me to comment Mm -hmm. on something, they would send a crew to my house and the crew would have big cameras and big Mm -hmm. lights and they'd spend an hour setting up a set. And then the pandemic hit. And instead of a big set, it's like, just look in your computer and maybe put on some lipstick and it'll be just fine, right? And so I wonder (laughs) anymore, you know, if you're trying to be a creator, do you have to have a big budget for high production values? 
Absolutely not. And it's kind of like with me, I still have the most simple setup. Like I might have maybe a ring light half the time I'm using daylight and half the time I'm using just my phone to record because the cameras on there are good enough. Sometimes it's on a camera. That's not even that expensive either. But I think it leaves it open to anybody that wants to create can create without spending tens of thousands of dollars on all this production. And I've made videos in the past showing people my setup and it gives them a little bit of hope. Like they're like, Oh, I could do that. And I'm like, yeah, you can. So do it. Like it's just about setting up the camera or your phone and and doing it. So I think it's a good thing to be honest. What do you think the special sauce is that's made you strike gold, so to speak. I'm looking for a better phrase than strike gold because it's cliched. But what do you think it is that you've tapped into? I mean, you're relatable, you're likable, you're clearly you, right? You're authentic. Is that it? Is it that the internet filters out people who are not their authentic selves? Yeah, you know, that's kind of what I was going to say is that I, I try to keep my content as relatable as possible, whether it's in terms of family or friends or situations like the introverted kind of thing. But these are all things that I genuinely have experienced and that I've had experiences with. And I think like what you said, it's very difficult to keep up some sort of facade on the internet. I think people see through it pretty quickly. Or if you're doing something just to do it because it's trending or because you think it's going to do well, it might to begin with, but it's not sustainable. It's not going to last. So I think, and this is just with my experience, genuinely just being myself and keeping it so I know that my audience can relate to the content as well. I think those are kind of the two most important things when you're posting something because nobody's going to share something that they can't relate to or that they don't like or that they can't laugh at or yeah, yeah, you said it exactly how it is. Let's talk about the money. I mean, one of the reasons Mm -hmm. that we're so excited to talk to you today is not only are you an influencer, you're really an advocate for financial literacy, which Mm -hmm. I love, right? Talks right to me. But you're 25 years old. So what inspired you to take that tack? Yeah, I mean, ever since my first job, I was 13. And since I was 13, 14, I've always had like two jobs. I've always learned how to save. My parents taught me how to squirrel away my money. And then they told me that I should invest in a house. And I didn't really learn too much about investing up until about a year ago. And that was thanks to like my management and and my parents as well. But I came across a couple different companies, one of which that I have invested in now and and we're doing big things now is Able, which is it's an income management platform to help creators like myself manage their money, which I wish I had at the beginning of all of this because everything happened so fast and I was I don't know what to do about taxes. I don't know what to do about they don't teach you this stuff in school. So I was happy to invest in a company that sole purpose was to help self-employed people and creators manage their money and taxes without them worrying about it and just make it super easy. So yeah, I'm, I'm still learning about the investing space and everything, but I think it's something that women and, and men, should everybody should be looking into around my age when you actually do start to have a job and do start to make money and it doesn't need to be a lot. So yeah. How did you handle it when the money started mm-hmm. to roll in? I mean, tell me about the first big payday. Were you shocked? 
Absolutely. Yeah. It was like, I can't remember the first watch. You know, I probably can't remember the first like bigger contract. I believe it was with Bessie, a company I still work with, which is a a shoe company that's based out of Vancouver where I'm from, which I loved as well. And I had already been wearing them too. So I was like, perfect. I already wear them. I already love them. And they're offering to pay X amount of dollars, which was like three months pay that I got when I was like a hairdresser or something. So that was a really big deal to me. Yeah. And then I honestly got anxiety over it because then I'm like, okay, what do I, I need to do something with this money to make sure it doesn't go to waste. And then, yeah. and then I was like, this might be my only contract ever. Cause I'm constant when you're in this space, you're constantly in the, at least I am, I'm constantly in the thought process that it could all go away tomorrow because it could. Yeah. I wanted to be responsible with it as much as I could. So all I knew at the time was like, okay, I'll save it and I'll put it there. And then I finally got a financial advisor. And then he's like, okay, well, we could put this money towards, you know, this company, or we could do this. And then, so that's kind of when I started to expand (laughs) and liquidate a little bit more. (laughs) And yeah, learn about the investing space. It's interesting. I Well, two things are interesting. Number one is that you got a financial advisor. So what was it that Mm -hmm. happened that made you think I need help? It was just the amount of money, which I mean, at the time it was, you know, not that it was like a crazy amount or anything, but it was an amount where I knew I was like, okay, I could potentially start saving for a house, which I knew was at the top of my list for an investment. And I wanted to know the best way to save that money. And there's only so much your parents can tell you or friends can tell you. So I thought I would seek out a professional (laughs) or my my parents tried to tell me exactly what to do, but I'm like, I appreciate that. I'm just going to go ask this guy, maybe pay him to (laughs) tell me what's best. And I actually had a friend that also had a financial advisor and I was like, I don't know what that is, but it sounds like he advises over your finances. So I'll try that. And then, yeah, it was as simple as just sitting down, having a meeting and saying, this would be the best place to put your money for saving for a house and, you know, like TFSAs and RSPs and all that kind of stuff and, and learning about all that. And it made no sense at the time, but I've made it my mission to understand where my money's going and what it's doing, which I think everyone should. It's very important. It's so important. It's so important. And it's a really good place to actually pause and just point out that, you know, no matter what you do in your career, no matter what you do in life, it takes skill and determination and grit to get where you are and maybe you want to open your first business or you want to go for a promotion or you want to move into a dream job sometimes you're going to have questions and when you have questions that's the time in your life that's the point at which you say yes i need some advice it is such a good move if you're looking for advice and you're listening you can visit planefe.com her money and schedule a free appointment with an advisor. These are fiduciary advisors. And with an integrated approach to wealth management, these are folks who can help you with whatever expertise you need to help build momentum with your finances and your career. Really smart move at 25. I'm talking, of course, with Chris Collins, better known as Call Me Chris. We're talking about influencer economics. So I remember when my daughter graduated from college, it's been a few years now, and whenever we get together, I'll go through the list of her friends and what's this one doing and what's this one doing and what's this one doing. And I remember hearing one of her friends was trying to become an influencer. 
And I said, well, why? And she said, well, you know how much influencers earn. And, you know, we've heard two stories, actually, anecdotally. I've heard that influencers who can grow their followings to 50,000 can potentially earn about 100,000 a year with the right partnerships, that there's a formula involved that you can charge brands $100 for every 10,000 followers. But I've also heard that sometimes even influencers with very large followings just get a lot of free stuff and they don't actually get money. So what can you tell me about the truth in these economics? Yeah, absolutely. And this was the biggest learning curve for me, especially before I got representation. I didn't get an agent or any sort of management or agency until I was well over 4 million followers or so. And at that point, it was just asking other people in the space what they're charging, if they're charging. And I was too scared to ask. So for the longest time, I was just doing stuff for free, for free stuff. (laughs) I didn't know what I could charge. I didn't know what I was worth at all. There's no X amount of dollars for X amount of followers. It doesn't really work like that. I know some creators that have, you know, like 100,000 followers and they charge $100 and then another person charges $5,000. It really depends. And then it also depends on your analytics and your demographic. And when you start to work with the bigger brands, they care about how your videos are performing. The amount of followers is almost irrelevant. It's actually more based upon how many people are actually seeing your content. So somebody can have a million followers, but then maybe only 10,000 people are watching, that's not worth it for the brand to give you whatever, $5,000 if a certain amount of people are consistently only seeing your videos. So there are so many different factors. And I highly recommend doing very detailed research, but getting representation to negotiate on your behalf, because that shouldn't be the influencers or creators job. And it's their job to know how much to charge and how much to negotiate and how much to do outreach and and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's the most important thing I did. And the first agency I was with, I had some learning curves and they were taking too much of my money, but I didn't know at the time. And now I'm with wonderful people that I collaborate with and are not taking all of my money. And so there's a a lot of factors in what to charge and all that. So As you were growing to those 4 million followers before you got representation, Mm -hmm. what did you learn about asking for the money that you wanted? What did you learn about the negotiation? Oh, yeah. I mean, growing up Canadian, too, it was just... (laughs) I was just happy to be there. It was just, I didn't didn't want to ask at all. It was usually, I only got paid and I hope nobody does what I did, but I only got paid if they had already offered money, which usually was just minuscule. It would be like, you know, a hundred dollars and a free hat or whatever I was promoting. Yeah. And at the time after I think three or four months of just posting and and getting to that 4 million mark, I had started hairdressing again full time. So I was doing six to seven days hairdressing and doing that. So I was like, okay, well, this won't be my job, clearly, because clearly, it doesn't really make that much money. Little did I know, once I got an agent, they're like, what are you doing? Like, you need to be, (laughs) your, your time is worth something. And you're putting effort into this, you should be charging and people should know that your time is money. And you need to know your worth in this business and your influence on people. Because like you said before, at the beginning, brands are going to social media to promote their 
products now. It's not on television anymore. Every single brand is on TikTok. It's on Instagram. It's they depend on influencers to promote their stuff. So so let's talk TikTok specifically. We're just mm-hmm. going to TikTok, right? And we're definitely yep. late to the party. But what do you think <laughs> makes a good TikTok? TikTok especially is, I mean, short format. People's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter nowadays. So that's why I think that app is being so successful. They are bringing in like a 10 minute feature or something, which I think is a mistake. But I think TikToks are so successful and people that go on TikTok are so successful because of that short format. And that is what I take into account every time I post something. I'm a bit of an anomaly and I usually use up a full minute or maybe even two minutes, but I make sure that those first 10 seconds are the most grabbing 10 seconds there could be if it's like, you know, somebody yelling in your face or something super obscure or putting one of my people's favorite character of mine in the first couple frames so they know that that's what the skit's going to be about or just thinking about these little things or even just the title of the video, whether it's the introverted one or something like that. I know it's going to grab a certain audience. So thinking about those even first two seconds is probably the most important thing with a successful TikTok. If people don't grab onto those, then they're just going to scroll right past it. And your watch time is going to go down, which means your views are going to go down, which means the algorithm's not going to push it. So it's thinking about all those factors. What do you want to do when you grow up? (laughs) Me? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is great right now. And I still feel like my job is, I mean, essentially, if I look at it, I'm playing dress up and and making up characters (laughs) for a job, which is great. I found that I'd love to explore the writing space a little bit more. I found that maybe I have a little bit of an acting bone, so I might get into that a little bit more. I think more than a little. Um, I think a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And that, and then obviously continuing to invest because I think that alone is not necessarily a job, but almost. It's always something that I have on the forefront of my mind. So there's a lot of little things and working on, Maybe, or I am getting into the voice acting space as well because I like to do different voices. And so, yeah, there's a lot of doors that I want to knock on still. That's amazing. As we wrap this Mm -hmm. and bring it to a a bit of a close, your best advice for women who are looking Mm -hmm. to turn their influence into real cash, not free stuff, just actual Mm -hmm. cash, whether they want to follow in your footsteps or just promote the products that they're making to a wider audience. Mm Mm-hmm. The hardest thing for me, and and not only for TikTok, but for YouTube and for other spaces was to just do it and do it without being afraid of what people are going to think of you. And especially being a woman, it's for me, and it doesn't even need to be in the comedy space, but in the comedy space, it's a little intimidating. And as a woman, you feel like you constantly need to prove yourself or you're constantly questioned about if that's, you know, your material or if you got that idea from somebody else or, or any of that, you need to not worry about all of that, worry about yourself and take the first steps into just doing it. Because I think that's the mistake that a lot of people make and already think that they're going to fail, especially women. And just to do it and do it authentically as possible. Obviously, you need to love what you're doing. You need to be passionate about what you're doing. And people can see that through the screen. So yeah, just taking those first steps and knowing your worth as well and getting fantastic representation that doesn't rip you off. (laughs) Fantastic representation that doesn't rip you off. That's what we're going to call this episode. (laughs) Fantastic representation. Parentheses that doesn't rip you off. Love it. Absolutely. (laughs) 
Chris Collins, call me Chris. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I learned a lot. So I'm going to apply it strategically in our social media. Good, good. Happy to help. As we head into our mailbag with Catherine, let me just remind everyone that her money is supported by BCU. BCU is a credit union. It's one of my favorite credit unions, and it helps members feel confident and assured with the peace of mind that comes from making smart financial decisions. Visit bcu.org to learn ways to secure your financial future. Hey, Catherine, nice to see you. You too, Jean. I know that you have started getting into TikTok on her money. I know you haven't spent a lot of time on it yet, but I want to tell you that I follow you religiously, and I think you're doing a great job (laughs) with your first foray into the platform. Thank you. Look, I'm trying. First of all, I think TikTok's fun, right? I mean, I can go down a TikTok rabbit hole, and I can really spend way too much time there. And so it's a place where I would like to learn to play. And I think that there's a lot of great financial information that is being distributed on TikTok. And we need to meet people where they are. We need to find ways of presenting this information in a way that just makes sense to people in the way that they want to receive it. So yay, TikTok. Yeah, it's such a great point. And it is such a fun platform, you know, like I was always an Instagram person, but I feel like I am spending more time on TikTok now. There's so many funny things. There's a lot of joy on TikTok, which I think the world needs more of right now. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I just, I like the TikTok dances. I, I mean, I like all of it. So it's fun to watch. I also really appreciate that she was forthcoming with her answers. You know, I think there is a bit of a veil with creators in terms of money and there doesn't need to be that kind of a veil. There's a lot of money changing hands out there. And if you're creating good content, I think you should have an understanding of how to monetize it. So I really appreciate that she was willing to go there with us. Yeah, such a great point. It's nice to hear another woman helping to elevate other women just by the sharing of information, because that is so important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And while we're sharing some information, I know we've got questions today. I want to make sure we get to them all. Indeed. Our first question today comes to us from LW. She writes, Jean and Catherine, greetings from the Midwest. This is my first time submitting a question, but I feel like you two are old friends. I always look forward to each new podcast and appreciate all the practical information you share. My question for you. I'm helping my mid-20s niece figure out her next steps in her career. After completing two years of college and not feeling like that was her groove, she continued to work for a large grocery store and has risen to assistant manager. She's been at a couple of different locations and has gained a lot of skills in managing people, scheduling, and managing logistics of the store. With all the job opportunities available, she feels like it's time to find something else. I know that her skills and ability to manage people are highly desired, but we're struggling to find what the next steps might be. What are the best ways to assess industries and jobs to look into to leverage her skills? Even as her 50-ish year old aunt, the possibilities feel a little overwhelming and she's just not sure where to start looking. When talking to anyone, they say, pick a job, everything is available. That's not that helpful. We appreciate any guidance you may be able to provide. Keep up all the great work. Well, thank you for your letter. Greetings to you wherever you are in the Midwest. And 
I agree with you. I don't think pick a job, everything is available is very helpful advice either. But you told me a lot about your niece, who's very lucky to have you with her in this search, by the way. You told me a couple of things about your niece already that I think could help you focus her job search. She doesn't need to stay in the same industry. She just needs to find a way to apply what we call transferable skills, right? And you pointed out a few of them. She's gained a lot of experience managing people, right? She's managed a team and she's managed a team to do, I'm assuming, a number of things that she can point to. Maybe she's managed a team to grow sales. Maybe she's managed a team in creating new programs or projects. Maybe she's managed a team through a downturn in the business that they came back through. Try to dig into those things to get a little bit more specific. Similarly, When you say she's managed the logistics of the store, logistics is a big word. And try to sit down with her and unpack what that is. You know, does that mean that she used specific programs that other businesses might use? Does it mean that she dealt with various vendors on whatever you might need for that store? Does it mean that she went out and found the health insurance plan? I'm not exactly sure what these things are, as you can tell by the way I'm pumping around, but... I know that your niece knows what they are. I know that if you sat down and you tried to unpack the specific things that she did, you would be able to draw them out of her. Then I would divide them into two columns, the things that she likes and the things that she doesn't like. Take the list of the things that she says that she likes, that she wants to do more of, and use that to sort of do a keyword search on LinkedIn. Head over there and look for jobs that are pulling on those same specific skills. And my guess is that you're gonna find them in a lot of various industries. And when you come across jobs that she's attracted to, she should A, apply, but B, she should do so by writing different versions of her resume that help make her seem like a fit for those particular jobs. And it may take a little bit of tweaking with each one that she applies to. I'd also say that as you come in contact with different connections on LinkedIn and different businesses, if you know somebody, if you can make a connection, this is a really good time to just reach out and ask to have coffee. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Can I come and sit with you for 20 minutes and talk about what you do and how somebody with my skill set might fit into your world? I think it's a little bit of an application and fine-tuning process and a little bit of a research process along the way. But your friends are right in the fact that this is a very, very competitive job market. And it sounds like your niece has a wide basket of skills that she could probably apply in a lot of different ways. She just has to figure out what that is. Yeah, that's such a great point, Jean. This question reminded me a little bit of when we got during COVID from a flight attendant 
who was asking how she could maximize her skills in people management and coordination and was looking into a different industry. So, you know, I think the advice to just look at it from a 360-degree view of what you excel at and how that might translate into a different industry is is always great. Yeah, and I also think sometimes, and this is where LW, you come into play, sometimes we don't see these things in ourselves. And we need other people to say, that's something. That's something that somebody would pay you for. You know, we discount our own abilities and our own qualities to such an extent, women in particular, that we might need somebody else to point out our value. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Our next question today comes to us from an anonymous listener. She writes, hi there. I love your show. You have accompanied me on many road trips, and I appreciate all that you're doing to support women with their financial goals. My mother passed away recently, and we're starting to work our way through the many financial decisions. Most are straightforward, but the retirement account poses a few questions for me. My mother had an IRA. This was my father's 401k, which then transitioned to her after his death. My sister and I set up inherited IRA accounts as required, but I'm unclear on our next steps. I understand that we're required to distribute the account within 10 years. Does this mean I need to take the money out in cash? If so, is there any benefit to doing it all at once and just taking the tax hit? Or is it better to spread out the distributions? Do I have options here that I'm not seeing? If I'm following things correctly, it looks like the required distribution was taken out this year already. A little about me if it helps. I'm in my mid-40s, I work full-time, and I'm contributing the max to my 401k. I have an IRA through a previous job. The inherited IRA is worth roughly $20,000. As for other parts of her estate, we're in the process of selling her home. As for my other financial goals, I have a small amount of credit card debt that I plan to pay off. My larger goal is to purchase a home in the next year or two once supply picks up. Thank you so much. The information you share is always on point, and I appreciate your consideration of my question. Well, first of all, I'm really sorry about your loss. Boy, losing a mom is tough. I hope that you are holding up okay. So as for that inherited IRA, you're right. You have 10 years to pull the money out of the account in the form of required minimum distributions. And basically, yeah, that means that you pull that money out in cash and you pay income taxes on that money. Is there any benefit to doing it all at once and just taking the tax hit? It depends, I would think, on your income tax rate. If your tax rate is lower now than you think that it will be in the future, then I would say you should think about pulling the money out sooner. But the benefit to leaving it in the account is that it maintains, while it's still in there, that IRA protection that allows money to grow tax deferred. So you're sort of balancing one thing against the other. If you think that you want to allow that money to have as much room as it can to grow because it's invested in a portfolio that's doing really well, then you pull it out as slowly as possible. The other thing that I would consider 
is the other goals on your list. And I'm really glad, actually, that you mentioned that credit card debt. You said it's a small amount and that you intend to pay it off. Well, there's a return on your money to paying off that credit card debt. If that credit card debt, for example, is at 20% and you use one year's distribution, let's just call it $2,000 because the total amount is $20,000 in order to rid yourself of that credit card debt, that's a good return on your money. It's a guaranteed return on your money. So I might try to wipe that out as soon as possible and to use that inherited IRA to help you do that. As far as the rest of your financial life, it just occurs to me that I think, you know, as Chris and I were talking, I think that now might be a really good time for you to sit down and meet with a financial advisor and make a plan so that you're sure that you are maximizing your use of all of your assets, that you are parking the money that you want to put into a home in the right place and that you're setting yourself up for the future. It doesn't have to be the sort of relationship that you have meetings every quarter or even every year, but I, I do think a one and done in this case would be well worth it. And thanks so much for writing again our sympathies on the loss of your mom. Thank you so much, Jean. Absolutely. And in today's Thrive, let's talk about the best coupon apps that can help you save some money when shopping online. Many of us love to shop online. Some of us, I'm raising my hand, love it a little too much, even if you prefer shopping in-store. There is no denying the convenience of sometimes being able to order some paper towels or new shoes one night and find them on your doorstep just a day or so later. But some apps Apps to aid your shopping experience exist to actually help you save. At hermoney.com, we've got a rundown on the best coupon apps to save you money. Here's a look at just three of our favorites. First up is Rakuten. Rakuten used to be Ebates. For those of you who wonder where Rakuten came from, it allows you to earn cash back for shopping both online and in brick and mortar stores. You can use the mobile app, website, or the browser extension as long as you're signed in. Whenever you shop with a merchant, you stand to earn some cash back. And it's not bad cash. It's anywhere from 1% to 10% cash back on your total purchase. Payments are issued every three months, and you can get it either in the form of a paper check or they'll deposit the funds into your PayPal account. And just FYI, you need to have earned at least $5 back for a payout. Personally, I have found that a very low bar to clear. Next on the list, Retail Me Not. If you're looking for automatic discounts and cashback opportunities, Retail Me Not has you covered. The browser extension will offer to check all available promotions for the items in your cart and then apply those discounts for you at checkout. And with that browser extension, not only are you getting the lower price, but you also get cash back. They also have a minimum $5 for payout. It takes about 45 days for your rewards to be approved and you can cash them out via PayPal or Venmo. We saved the best for last. There's Honey. It's owned by PayPal and it's similar to Retail Me Not. It searches for available coupons all across the web for items in your cart to ensure that you're getting the best price. And then it offers 
cash back in the form of what it calls honey gold. A thousand gold points equates to a $10 reward for you, and you can redeem it either as cash back, a PayPal shopping credit, or a gift card. They also offer a feature called Drop List, which allows you to make a list and track the prices of items that you're not quite ready to buy so that you can be sure you are snagging them at their lowest prices. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thank you to Chris for joining us to walk us through some influencer economics. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon. 